We're back in Luke, and this is, this is Luke, this is chapter 11. I think I said chapter 12 earlier, but this is Luke chapter 11. And sometimes I, uh, I find myself thinking, I read a passage, and, and I think I'd love to preach something a bit more sparkly, you know, a bit more exciting, and that, that stirs the soul. And then I was struggling with this passage a bit, and I read a quote from my beloved Gordon Fee last night. And he said about preaching, he said, The text stands in authority over me. I serve the text. So whatever the word says is, is what we preach and is, is where we go. This is Luke chapter 11. We're going to finish the chapter today. And that means we are in verse 33. Verse 33. It's an absolute... You know, it might not be a sparkly chapter to preach, but it's an absolute zinger from Jesus, okay? It's, it's got plenty of fizz and plenty of kick, uh, especially for a group of guys called the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus says in verse 33, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light... I couldn't help but think clean lit at that point. And no part of it dark. It will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. We'll we'll read some of the rest of the passage as we go through it. As we get further into this passage, Jesus will once again have a key conversation over a meal. A theme throughout the Gospel of Luke, over and over again, these the climactic moments happen at, at meals. And he will once again rail against the Pharisees and the scribes with his harshest words that he gives to any human towards the end of this chapter. Isaiah, as we have seen, was a book that was read to the exiles a lot. And Isaiah talked a lot about light and about coming light. Famously, in a passage we read at Christmas, but it's good to think about all year round, Isaiah says in 9.2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And he says in chapter 2, there's an invitation for people to go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, so that he will teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. There's this calling to the people that they're going to return to Jerusalem, return to God, be taught by God, and then walk in the ways that they've been taught. And that passage in Isaiah 2 finishes with the invitation to walk in the light of the Lord. God's people are looking forward in exile. They're looking forward to a day when God's light will shine and they will walk in that light. Just before our passage today in Luke eleven thirty one, Jesus says, The queen of the south 
will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Isaiah talks about people coming to Jerusalem, coming to the Lord, coming to the light to listen, to be taught, to learn wisdom, to learn how to live. And Jesus says that the Queen of the South, this woman who traveled to listen to Solomon, she traveled from the ends of the earth. Jesus says she's going to rise up and judge the generation that he was living in because they were not listening to him. And he was greater than Solomon and they were not valuing his wisdom. Isaiah climaxes towards the end of his book with arise shine for your light has come this declaration prophetically that the light and the glory of the lord was going to shine upon the people once again and jesus says in him it's happening the light has come jesus in eleven thirty three chapter of, of luke says that no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden he's talking about his own teaching He is shining this light brightly. He's not like the scribes and the Pharisees who gather in back rooms and street corners and whisper and mutter about how they will catch Jesus. He is public in declaring the light of his teaching to anyone who will come to hear it. But the problem is with the eye. Light enters your body through the eye. And there's nothing wrong with the light The problem is with the eye. If the eye is healthy and brings in light, then your whole body receives that light. And spiritually speaking, your body is full of light and it glows and it gives light to others. But an unhealthy eye does not welcome the light of Jesus' truth and the light of his teaching. And the great danger that we still have 2,000 years after the Pharisees vanished off the scene, the great danger we still have is that we will base our lives on darkness rather than light. And when I say darkness, I don't mean that we will follow satanic notions or get involved in the occult. I mean we will feel, we will cover our eyes and we will feel to fully receive the light of Jesus' truth and Jesus' teaching. We must walk in the light as Christians. Even within the church and within some prophetic aspects, people can base their lives on darkness. They can take something deep inside them that is not actually light and start to base their lives on it. We must intentionally open our eyes to receive the light that Jesus brings. That is not just the moment of salvation. That is the ongoing process of walking in the light and looking to him for the light that we need to live. That's why the God of this age is so keen to blind the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. Satan wants to cover people's eyes Because he doesn't want them to take in the light that Jesus brings. And you may then think to yourself, well, this is a room full of Christians. And we are all a bunch of people who uh, don't need to be warned about receiving the light. We've already received it. We're God's people. Why, Why are you telling us this? Well, in the next passage, Jesus goes for dinner with a group of people who thought they were God's people. 
the Pharisees. He gets invited to this guy's house. And they thought they didn't need any more light. They had already received the light that they needed. And they were just like what we can be, where we can not value the light as much as time goes on. And what I want to do as we look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees this morning. I, I don't want you to apply this to somebody else. I don't want you to think, oh, that's a certain religious group or organization or old-fashioned or traditional or any of that at all. What I want you to see is that the mindset of a Pharisee can creep into every single one of our hearts. And it does not matter whether we're old or whether we're young or whether we're traditional or whether we're contemporary. These things that Jesus called out in these guys can creep into any of us unless we are constantly opening our eyes wide to the light that Jesus brings and receiving it. So this Pharisee in verse 37 invites Jesus to dinner and Jesus accepts the invitation. We find out later that there was a scribe there and we'll talk about him in a while. It's not clear if it was just the three of them or if there were others. There were probably some others because these guys like to gang up on Jesus. They knew they couldn't handle him, so they would bring a, they would bring a posse. And, and these Pharisees, what you've got to note about them, and, and just listen and see if this sounds familiar, they revered the word of God. They held it in high regard. I do that as well, and so do you. They were passionate about the things of God, really zealous about God. We hear the word Pharisee, and we put all sorts of negative connotations on it. These guys were passionate about God. And they called people to live in a way that pleased God because they wanted to see God's kingdom come. Does that sound familiar? We have a lot more in common <laughs> with the Pharisees in terms of our motivations and our intentions than sometimes we would acknowledge. It sounds really familiar. What was important to them is also important to us. And every one of us, therefore, is, is susceptible and vulnerable to the same attitudes creeping into the heart that they had. The problem with the Pharisees was that they refused to open their eyes to the light of Jesus. And therefore, what they were functioning on inside was darkness. They refused to come to him. They refused to walk in the light. And there is a great likelihood that any of us, as time goes on, walking with God, that we just get a bit sloppy about the light. We're like, I already know that. I've already read that. I, I don't need to do that. I'm okay. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I don't need to sort of engage in the, the deep devotion to Jesus of coming to the light every day, of, of, of soaking in his word and in his truth and listening to him. And you can very quickly fade and move away from the light without hardly realizing it. And Jesus has some sharp, sharp words for these Pharisees and these scribes who live in that way and refuse to come to the light. Everything kicks off in verse 38 when the Pharisee is surprised and notices that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now listen, boys and girls, if you arrive at the dinner table and you're, you're asked the question, did you wash your hands, okay? Particularly important for, for country folk who be handling dogs and cats and chickens and all sorts of things. Did you wash your hands? Do not then turn around and say, Jesus didn't wash his hands before dinner, okay? 
This is not that sort of washing. It's not that Jesus had big clods of muck on his hands and didn't bother to, to get them off. What we're talking about here is ceremonial washing, ritual washing, where they would go through a process not just to wash off dirt, but, but to wash off sin, to wash off the, the, the sort of the, the dirt of the world, not just physical dirt. And it's something that happened in the Old Testament, but was not commanded. They didn't have to do it. Some of them did, some of them didn't. And on this occasion, Jesus doesn't go through the ritual of washing his hands and washing the cups and washing the plates and all of that stuff. And he's being watched. And you better believe, now listen carefully, one of the first telltale signs that that this Pharisaic mindset is slipping into our hearts is that we're watching people to see them do wrong. We're watching to catch people out not watching to celebrate them or encourage them or, or, or help them, but we're watching to note what they're doing wrong. And these guys, this one in particular, notices that Jesus doesn't wash and he doesn't like it. And there's a little theme that runs throughout Luke over and over again where Jesus knows what people are thinking. And as you read it, you start to get to the point where when you see it, a wee smile cro- you know, crosses your face and you're like, this guy is in trouble. <laughs> if, it's, if, if you read and you realize that Jesus knows what's in somebody's mind or knows what's in their heart, you're like, there's trouble coming. It's never a good thing. <laughs> so there are seven things that he says. There's one general thing at the start, and then there's three woes for the Pharisees and three more for the lawyers. And the first thing that he says to the Pharisee is, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You better believe the tone at the table changed drastically at that point. For a Pharisee, everything is about the external appearance, the public perception. What do people think of me? And if you don't think that that's a danger, I can tell you from personal experience, it is. It is. It is so easy to, to, to start to behave in a way that is governed by what other people will think of you. It is so easy and so dangerous. And these guys were all about the public perception, keeping the rules externally. And they didn't care about the question that I asked last week, who am I when no one is watching? Who am I really? But the light comes and the light looks inside and the light sees greed and wickedness and calls it out. The Pharisees were marked by greed. In fact, in Luke 16, 14, uh, Luke says, the Pharisees who loved money. (laughs) They were really ticked by one of Jesus' teaching and that's how, how Luke describes them. They loved money. That does not mean it is only wealthy people who are at the risk of becoming Pharisees. Any of us, whether we have money or not, can be governed by the love of it and the constant thinking about it. And these guys loved money. They were greedy and they were wicked. And the light comes. Jesus challenges them and he says that they they need to be clean on the inside. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? As for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean. Jesus goes after the heart. He doesn't 
It's not that he doesn't care about what's on the outside, but that's the wrong way to go about it. Jesus goes for the transformation of the heart because the heart is where the greed and the wickedness reside and all the outside external cleaning will not change the heart. I last, or a couple of years ago, I wanted to put new felt on the roof of the hen house outside and I, and I had bought the felt and it was a sort of a sunny day. It wasn't going to rain for four or five hours. And I thought, right, I'll do this now. And I ripped the old felt off. And sure enough, the roof underneath was totally rotten. And everything in me just wanted to put the new felt over the top of it, put a few tacks on, and it would look really well. It would just look fresh and bright and new and nice. And that would have been great. But I knew the roof needed replaced. The roof was rotten. So there then began a race against time to build a new roof before the rain came. And then put the felt on it. The temptation is always just to cover over and not deal with the heart. Jesus comes to bring light and deal with a rotten heart. The second thing he says, and it's the first woe to the Pharisees, is because they are tithing. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have a problem with tithing. But he has an issue with people who tithe the very herbs from their garden and yet neglect justice and the love of God. So you picture the scene. There's at the table the Pharisee on one side, a bowl of parsley in the middle of the table, and Jesus on the other side. And the the Pharisee is a bit smug, thinking, I tithed my parsley. I harvested some parsley, and I wed it, and I gave a tenth of it to the work of the Lord. And all the while, on the other side of the bowl, God is sitting at the table and the Pharisee doesn't recognize him and refuses to come to his light. That's religious darkness when you cannot see God right in front of your face. And the huge irony is that that these Pharisees, everything they were motivated by was that they wanted to see God come. They wanted to see God move in the nation. And yet he's sitting at the table and they don't recognize him. Because if we don't live in the light and don't come to the light, we won't see what God is doing. We won't recognize where he's moving and we won't be able to align with him in bringing and seeing his kingdom come. Those who come to the light, it's not that they neglect the, the, these small things. Jesus doesn't say, don't do that. He says, don't do that at the expense of the important things. Justice and the love of God. Justice is making sure other people are treated well, the way God would treat them. Justice is loving others, and the love of God is loving God. Jesus frequently brought his teaching back to these two things, loving God and loving others. And maybe the driving force I was thinking of of this sort of Pharisaic behavior is, if we keep on nitpicking over little tiny things, if we keep fussing about tithing our herbs, it maybe distracts us and allows us to procrastinate from actually dealing with the big issues. We convince ourselves that we're doing well keeping busy with these fiddly little things and ignore the big things that God wants us to focus on. Pride is another thing that that comes in that Jesus rebukes them for. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They want, as I said earlier, the approval of other people. That comes in and that starts to drive them. What will they think if I do this? What will they think if I do that? 
Whereas God, whenever we come to the light of Jesus, we realize that God opposes the proud, according to James 4, but shows favor to the humble. So this attitude, if this sneaks into me, I'm not a religious man, and I'm not a traditional man, and I'm not any of those things that people might associate with the word Pharisee, but boy, I'm susceptible to pride. And I'm susceptible to wondering what people will think. Saturday night, what will people think if I say that? What will people think? Just creeps in, starts to affect the heart. And that Pharisaic behavior can come in. And then the reality is once pride comes in, you're in opposition to God. Because God opposes the proud. And instead, the coming to the light that Jesus brings is to focus on humility, to yearn after humility. Another verse from last week in Second Chronicles 7 about if my people will humble themselves. Because the Pharisaic mindset creates opposition to God. Humility is what God wants if he's going to move and heal the land. This land is sick, desperately sick. How much of the cause of that sickness is prideful, arrogant religious behavior? And how much does the church need a revival of humility in order to see God healing the land? The last woe that Jesus gives to the Pharisees is particularly stingy. He says, you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. And you might think, well, that's not that big a deal if you're in a graveyard and you accidentally walk over a patch of grass that happens to to be an old grave. But for them, it was a big deal because if you came anywhere near a corpse, you were unclean. And Jesus says to these Pharisees, when other people rub up against you, they actually become unclean. You are like an unmarked grave. And they don't know. It's not like there's a marker on you warning people, don't come near this. You're unmarked. You're tricking people. You're deceiving people. Jesus is, they're worried about him not washing his hands because they're so fussy about uncleanness. And Jesus says, you are actually death. And you're causing the people who come in contact with you to contract your uncleanness from you. Whereas when we come to the light, we don't share death with people. We share life with them. There's a wonderful, funny little story in 2 Kings 13 where a bunch of guys come to a cave with the body of their dead friend. And they see, I think it's Midianite raiders coming over the horizon and they need somewhere to hide. And they go and hide in the cave with the body of their dead mate. And they set him down. But they don't realize that that's the cave that Elisha the prophet is buried in. And when their dead mate touches Elisha's dead bones, the guy rises from the dead. Elisha had so much life in him that even when somebody came and touched in contact with his dead bones, they still were infected with life. That's what we should be like. Not like these Pharisees and somebody rubs shoulders with us and they're turned away from God, but that they rub shoulders with it and with us and they feel life. Then a lawyer comes on the scene <laughs> and uh, he, he enters the conversation and I'll bet he wish he, di- he, he didn't bother. One of the experts in the law in verse 45 said, Teacher, when you say these things, you're also insulting us. 
And I can imagine Jesus saying, really? <laughs> well, while we're on this, let, let me say a few things to you. These, these guys, the law that they were interested in was not the law of the land. It wasn't Roman law. It was the law of Moses from the Old Testament. They were self-proclaimed experts in how to interpret it and how to apply it. They were fussy about the legal system of the law of Moses. You could call them legalists. He was like the Pharisee in that he was also zealous for the things of God. He wasn't opposed to God or he didn't think he was. Turns out he was whenever we read on. But he thought he was zealous for the things of God. And like the Pharisee, this guy refused to come to the light of Jesus. This lawyer was what you would call a prosecuting lawyer. He was the guy who would, who would judge people and condemn them and tell them all the things that they did wrong. He was a prosecutor. He knew the law inside out and he used it to condemn people. And again, pride comes into this. Pride is associated with this. Prideful people will point out the flaws in others. But as soon as someone points out a flaw in them, the lawyer says, Jesus, you're offending us as well. And Jesus says, well, while we're at it, let's give you three like the Pharisee got three. He says to him, you experts in the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Unbearable burdens being placed on people. Jesus unburdened people. If we are people who have come to the light, then when others come near us and we are sharing the light with them, they will feel unburdened, not burdened, not worse. Not like the load they are carrying is getting heavier because they've been around us. Religious darkness puts unbearable burdens on people. A word that gets used around the church a lot is the word burnout. Burnout. And it's used for good reason because many in the church are burnt out by what the church expects of them. Many are burnt out because they carry a burden while others do nothing. So burnout in the church is a common thing. Do this, do that. You need to come to this and you need to come to that and you're expected to be at that and, you're expe- and it just crushes people with an unbearable burden. But at the same time, let me place a warning on you. Burnout doesn't just come from church. I think in Christian circles, the word burnout just gets associated with church. If you're burnt out because of your own decisions and your own lifestyle, don't blame the church like it's a soft target. <laughs> Evaluate your own heart. Instead of just lashing out. Jesus invites people to come to him. You come to the light. You come to Jesus and you find that his burden is light in a different sense of the word. It's not heavy. When people carrying heavy burdens come in contact with Jesus and the people of Jesus, they should feel lighter, not worse. Another thing that these lawyers get rebuked for jesus says woe to you you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors that killed them so apparently these lawyers every year would have gone out and would have tidied up all the tombs on the road into jerusalem and all the pilgrims who were traveling to jerusalem would have seen them and thought what good guys those are out at the roadside tidying up the tombs of the prophets 
And their, their motivation, the lawyer's motivation for doing this was to look good, again, externally, and to try to make it out like they cared what the prophets had said. And Jesus says, no. <laughs> Jesus calls them out on it. He won't have it. He says, you had no respect for what the prophets said. Your fathers, your ancestors killed them and you made the graves. He said, you, com- you completely and totally approve of what your forefathers did. And by killing the prophets, they were rejecting the word that the prophets brought. They were not welcoming the hard truth that the prophets brought to God's people. So they killed them. And Jesus says to these lawyers, as they go out and tend the graves, you are not actually respecting the prophets. You're approving of what your ancestors did. And you likewise are rejecting the word. These are the same guys who in a very short period of time will kill Jesus. They rejected and they killed the prophets that came before him. And they're going to do the same thing to him. And the last thing he says to them in verse 52, Woe to you experts of the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who were entering. There can be no greater rebuke for these guys than this. Not only have they not entered into the truth and the light that Jesus brings. But they have stopped others from entering into it as well. That's what religious darkness does. That refusal to come continually to the light of Jesus, continually. I've read Matthew before and I've read Mark. Read it again. (laughs) I've read John, but read it again. We've been in Luke for years. We're going to be for years. Read it again. Come to the light over and over and over and over again. I'm not telling you to exclusively read the Gospels, but for goodness sake, don't leave them out. Don't be thinking, oh, I know that. I know that simple old, old story of salvation. I don't need to come to it repeatedly. You do. You've got to continually come to the light of Jesus so that that's what drives you. Because those who refuse his light become dark and they not only don't enter the kingdom themselves, but they prevent others from getting in. That's a reality in religion in this nation. There's such arrogant pride about that it drives people away from Jesus instead we should be throwing the doors wide open and doing everything we can to make the way clear for people to come in to the knowledge of Jesus and if I don't allow the light in I will become that sort of person as well we must be continually coming is there any hope as we as we draw to a close is there any hope for Pharisees Are there any good stories about Pharisees? Well, yes, there are. There's a Pharisee called Nicodemus, and he took Jesus' body off the cross. And there's a Pharisee called Paul, and he took the gospel and turned the world upside down. When I see, and it's, it's particularly, you know, in the circles that I tend to move around, it's particularly young men, but when I see arrogant young men who I think have this Pharisaic mindset, I've actually got great hope for them. I don't, you know, I, I'm frustrated, but I think if you would just come to the light, drop the pride, drop the arrogance, and just come to the light, you would run so hard with the gospel. 
You're so gifted. You're so talented. You have so much ability. But you need to come to the light because the arrogance and the pride is holding you back. Nicodemus and Paul are examples of Pharisees who opened their eyes. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, particularly in the darkness of the nighttime, and received his light. Paul was stopped by the light on the Damascus Road. There is hope for Pharisees. There is hope. So let's not, let's not um, discount and just discredit and do away with people who have these mindsets because one of them called Paul became the greatest human being of all time. <laughs> There's so much potential within them. Pray for them, love them, invite them to the light. How do we make sure that we avoid the fate of the, the scribes and the Pharisees? Uh, a phrase that's frequently heard in our house is this, open your blinds, please. I like light. <laughs> I love light. I like November and December because there's lots of lights in the house. There's fairy lights everywhere. Okay, <laughs> Loads of them. I love light. I find January and February tough <laughs> because I just get tired of the darkness. And whenever springtime comes, I'm like, get those curtains and blinds open wide because I want as much light in. Open the blinds, open the doors. Remember when we built the house and the original design, the staircase was sort of this closed-in staircase with a, with a store in underneath it. And I was like, no, take away the store, do the open staircase thing with the openings in between the, the treads on the staircase because I want light to come through it. I love the light. And the way that we avoid becoming Pharisees is getting the blinds open and bringing in as much light as we possibly can. Spend time with the God who is declared in John, 1 John, to be light. In him there is no darkness at all. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Every day, folks, we've been back in this theme again and again recently. Every day, sit in the light. Whatever it may be. Don't, don't, don't just re reduce it down to listening to a podcast or a sermon in the car or whatever. Those are good things. But make time to just sit in the light quietly and be in the light of God, in the light of Jesus, in the light of the word. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Make time every day to open it up and take it in for yourself. Good to listen to others, but that's sort of second hand. Get it fresh from the source. Fresh every day. Don't put horrendous burdens on yourself about how much you will read or get or, or that. Don't allow legalism to creep in in that manner. But just expose yourself every day to the light of the word. Because if we don't, what happens is your eyes just start to close gradually. Less and less light is coming in. And the Pharisaic legalistic mindset can very easily slip into your heart. And not only spend time with God who is light, Jesus who is light, the word that is a light for our path, but st spend time with others who are light. Jesus said to the disciples, you're the light of the world. You know those people, and when you're with them, they just provide illumination for you. You know, a good counsellor will do that for people. But every Christian, to some extent, should, should be able to do that for people. 
We're in a conversation between two friends, a brother and sister in Christ or whatever, and, and one is sharing a lot of stuff and the other one is able to just bring light, bring truth. And the person who has come and shared a whole pile of stuff goes away not feeling that they're in, in more darkness or confusion, but feeling that there's light that has come because they've been around people who bring light. Open the blinds, get as much light into your life as possible from God, from his word and from other people. Because being in the company of Pharisees and legalists is stifling. Ooh, that's heavy. You always feel like you're being watched, that they're waiting to pounce on anything. This legalism always damages people. It never builds them up. It always keeps them in darkness. It never brings them to light. The gospel brings light into the heart and brings transformation. This lawyer, as I mentioned earlier, he was a prosecutor. That was his job. His job was to, was to prove people guilty. Jesus is described in 1 John 2, verse 1, as an advocate. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What's an advocate? If you look it up, you'll find that an advocate is a lawyer, but is not a prosecutor. An advocate is a lawyer for the defense. The prosecutor says, guilty, condemned. The advocate says, guilty, forgiven. That's the difference between Jesus and this lawyer. It's not that, he, it's not that, that the, the guilt isn't there. It's not that the sin isn't there. It's not that he doesn't, he doesn't just ignore it. He forgives it. If anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father. We have a defense lawyer. He doesn't do prosecution. He does defense. And he is in the presence of God acting on our behalf for our defense and for our forgiveness. That's such good news for people who are trolled by accusing religious prosecuting lawyers. You said this. You said that. I saw you do this. I saw you do that. I'm collecting evidence. I'm building a case against you. And Jesus says, no, you're forgiven. I'm not that type of lawyer. I'm not that type of lawyer. And we are going to eat a meal together to celebrate our advocate who has defended us and who has forgiven us of everything that religion would love to throw at us and keep us down. Open your blinds. <laughs> Open them wide. You are solar powered. You need as much light as you can get. Open your blinds wide. There's, it happens in our house. I sometimes tell an individual to open blinds and then I walk past the bedroom and the blinds have been half opened. And I say, open them wide. Get back down there and open them wide. I want as much light in here as possible. Have that attitude in your walk with God, in your walk with the Word. Let's worship and let's celebrate communion together.